0: Amen. Amen. Wow, I'm just so convinced tonight that God has a a sharp word for us. And I believe that it's a word for us personally. I believe that it's a word for us corporately. And I just want to say that tonight what I'm sharing in the word, it's for you. This is for you. This is for me. I've just been like, God, when you do this, don't pass me by. Lord, I want this. And so as a young communicator, it's just, I have to say up front, like, I'm right here with us as we're digging into the word. i just, I'm not here presenting this, like, depth of theology. I don't really have much on my resume. I've been saved for seven years. And honestly, like, I'm still just so hungry. I'm still, still just so, like, God, I don't understand some of this stuff in here but every time you reveal something to me it's just so powerful so lord teach me and i just want you guys to know tonight that i believe it's a word for you and it's a word for me and it's a word for us as a bride so can we just lean in is that cool oh i love the hunger in the room i love it thank you lord we're going to be talking about the new wine of jesus the new wine of christ and what that means, it's like a buzzword, you hear it a lot, like, Oh, oil God, pour out your oil, pour out your Holy Spirit, and it's beautiful. I I pray those things, but this week I was just like, Lord, what does it mean when in the Old Testament they were crying and mourning, saying, Pour out the wine, pour out the wine, what does that mean? When when you when you said in Matthew that I'm gonna pour out my wine, but but it's going to need to be in new wine, so what is the new wine? And as I've been searching, and as I've been reading the scriptures, I believe that there's so many parallels, right? The wine of Christ's blood. There's the wine of, of his wrath in Gethsemane. There's the wine of his, of his Holy Spirit, of the move of God. There's the wine of joy and gladness that they celebrate and drink wine at weddings. And I just believe tonight God wants to talk to us about the wine of his move. The the new wine of a move of God. And I'm going to read some scriptures in the Old Testament that kind of speaks to what this new wine is. In Isaiah 24, 7 through 11, it talks about the Lord's devastation. And it says, the new wine dries up and the vine withers. All the merrymakers groan, the joyful timbrels are stilled. The noise of the revelers has stopped. The joyful harp is silent. No longer do they drink wine with a song. The beer is bitter. The ruined city lies desolate. The entrance to every house is barred. In the streets, they cry out for the wine. All the joy turns to gloom. All joyful sounds are banished from the earth. What a desolate place, and the people are crying out for wine. They're crying out for the wine of Christ, for the wine of gladness in their grieving. Doesn't it parallel to a generation that is desolate? Their hearts are barred, they're broken, they're crying out for something. And as we're singing of the blood of Christ, I just can't help but feel maybe the groan that we're crying out for is a of God. The wine of his spirit, Amos 317, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. In the planter, by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hill. To break that down, he's saying a harvest is coming. A harvest that is bigger than you think. It's going to be more than what you can even carry in your hands. The plowman and the planter are going to be treading. And he says the new wine will drip from the mountains. What is the new wine? Guys, what does it look like when the Lord Pours out his wine, pours out the blood of his grace, pours out his power and his spirit over a generation. What does that do to us? Don't we so need that in this hour? Don't we need him to move again as we're reading about awakenings of the past? And as we get so stirred up in the scriptures, doesn't something in your heart say, do it again, Lord. We need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. And so then we see in the New Testament, he comes. And when Jesus came and when he walked the earth as an answer to these cries, the religious didn't even recognize him when he came. And we see in Matthew that they were, I'm going to read from Matthew 9 today. It's going to be the scripture we're going to zone in on. They're fasting and they're doing the religious things and they're praying and they're attending these gatherings and they're doing all of the right things. And they're so perplexed, perplexed by this man whom everyone is following that claims to be the Messiah, because they're saying, you are nothing what I thought you would be. We've been mourning, we've been fasting for the Messiah. We've been grieving for the Messiah. And he's here, and he's not what I expected him to be. And so in Matthew 9, we enter into this conversation where John's disciples and the Pharisees come to Jesus and his disciples, and they say, we don't understand you. Why do we fast and why do we grieve but you and your disciples don't fast? Essentially, they're saying, we're doing these religious things and you're claiming to be someone of great power and authority. Why aren't you fasting? And Jesus then responds and says, he, he gets to the heart. Doesn't he just do that? He gets to the heart of things. He's like, I'm not after the ritual of fasting. Why would my disciples fast for the bridegroom when the bridegroom is with them? Fasting is for the bridegroom. You're fasting for a move of God, and as he's standing before you, you don't recognize him. Because you're so caught up on your rituals, you're so hung up on your religion, you're so stuck in what was, that when what is is right before you, you don't want it. And so I just was so gripped by that. And then he goes on to say, and this is what we're going to dig deep on, He, he, he gives two metaphors to his response about fasting. And he says in Matthew 9, 16 through 17, or 14 through 17, he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. What is he saying here? He's saying, I'm here to do a completely new thing. You're just not perceiving it. I'm here to overthrow the system of religiosity. I'm not here just to patch the new thing onto the old thing. I'm not here just to patch myself onto the old covenant i'm here to fulfill the old covenant and do a completely new thing and really what he's saying is if you want to be a part if you want to receive what i'm doing in this new hour you're going to have to change some things you're going to have to let go of some things you're going to have to change some mindsets you're going to have to shift your thinking a little bit you're going to have to really search me and say god have what I've been building the past 20 years has it even been with the right heart? Lord. Because these Pharisees, as they've been building their imaginary homes for when the Christ would come, they've been deciding the parameter of the door and what it would look like when he comes. He can't fit in their expectations. He's like, I can't even come in the door. I'm not welcome here. You're fasting for a bridegroom that looks like this like super, right? He, they were expecting something totally different. They were expecting a king to come in and overthrow. And they're expecting someone who is, you know, dressed a certain way. And, and then they see this Messiah who's eating with sinners. And he was healing on off days. And who's praying in a way that offends them and he's teaching them about meekness being the greatest thing and he's teaching them about the first will be last and the last will be first and they're so confused because all of this time they've been building in their minds an expectation of how he would come and little did they know they weren't really intentionally seeking him they were just seeking a system they were just they were seeking religion right and none of us are like that none of us want that but we can learn from this Then he said, I just, like I said, I can't patch my kingdom onto the old garment of religion and hypocrisy. Our hearts and minds and ways and the old things have to be completely renewed and that's why he came. He's given us entirely new hearts, entirely new minds to walk in the fullness of Christ. We know this, guys. So the wine, what is this? He's saying, I cannot pour out new wine into old wineskins. When I pour out my new wine, It needs to be in a new wineskin. This makes so much sense in those days because wineskins were made of leather, the leather of animals. And the grapes would be crushed and the the juice would come and and it would be caught in these wineskins. And as the grape juice fermented, the wineskin would expand. But at a certain point, it it, it couldn't expand anymore and it would get dry and it would get crusty and it would get old. And so what he's saying is if I were to pour my new wine into that old mindset, into that old garment, into that old wineskin, it's going to break you. Yeah. And the wine's going to go everywhere. Yeah. If I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit onto a system that is religious wow. and that is full of hypocrisy and that is polluted with ambition and that is so caught up in hierarchy in the systems of the old, it will crush you. Right. It will crush you. We need to have fresh wineskins. These are the wineskins. It's, 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 like it's like a metaphor of our hearts, the wineskin of our lives. When I pour out my Holy Spirit, when I do a new thing again, I am looking for vessels. I am looking for lives that can contain me. I'm looking for lives that can receive me. I'm looking for hearts where there is room for me. I'm looking for fresh hunger. I'm looking for humility and meekness. I'm not looking for the ones that have it all figured out. I'm not looking for the ones that have been doing it longer than others. I'm not looking for the ones that have the title or the position. I'm not looking for the ones that pray a certain amount of hours or read it. So I'm looking for the ones who in the very heart of hearts, they're seeking me. And they're waiting on me. And they're patiently Suffering in the gap of of where they are and where they long to be with me. And I'm ready to pour myself out on the hungry ones. Don't we want the wineskin of our hearts to just be so receptive for when God wants to change things up? Don't we want to be so meek and so humble that if God were to come in a way that we did not expect our response would be, I just want you to come. I don't care how it happens. I don't care what movement or what person or what system you do it through, Lord. Just come. There's a generation longing. Would you come? And I just so believe that we are the wineskins that the Lord so desperately longs to pour out His Spirit into. That we are the vessels that the Holy Spirit so longs to dwell in. But the reality is that He's responsible for the wine, and we are responsible for obedience. And as much as he desperately wants to pour out his wine over all flesh, in this scripture is so clear that he is opposed to the proud. He is opposed to the systems. He's opposed to religion. He can't fit inside of those walls. We cannot experience the new wine of Christ if we remain an old wineskin. We need the Lord to make our hearts new. And this isn't just upon salvation, right? We get a new wineskin upon salvation, but it never stops. The flow of the Holy Spirit never ends. Salvation is just the very beginning. It's just the very beginning, and it's this constant process of renewing and refining and going through the fire and getting purged of our of our flesh and of our tendencies to become wineskin that he could pour himself out into. Jesus wants to bring the new wine of the Spirit and freedom out of our lives. And I believe that sometimes us individually and us corporately are holding up our old systems. We're holding up our man made ideas. We're holding up our man made blueprints. We're holding up our own desires that are not God's desires. And they're like old, crusty wineskins. And we're saying, Come on, God, pour yourself out, Lord. Pour yourself out. And He's like, I to That will bust and break. And it will bring you. It won't be good for you. And this is an encouraging message, guys, because God wants to do a new thing. It's so clear. We know it. we are living in an hour where you can just feel the hunger. You can just feel the hunger. You can sense that there is such just, there is, people are just getting over it. People are getting over the the, the highs. They're getting over the rushes. And they're saying, I'm looking for something real. I'm looking for something that'll last. There is a ripe generation. There is a ready generation. I believe the Lord is looking out at the harvest of our generation. He's saying, it is ripe. It is ripe. Who will be the wineskins that would contain the move of the Holy Spirit? Who would be the ones that would be able to bear my glory on earth? Who are the ones? You are the ones. I am the one. We are the ones. So what does this practically look like? What does this look like when God wants to pour out His uh, an anointing? What does it look like when God wants to, right? Because we can, something I want to say here is it's really easy to be at prayer meetings. It's so easy to be in gatherings and in rallies and to say with our words, pour out your spirit. And to cry, Lord, move in my family, God. Move in my church. Move in my small group, Lord. Move in our movement. Do something that literally I can never do. It's easy to say those things. But it's another thing to go through the process of refinement, yeah. Yeah. it's so easy to volunteer ourselves and to say, God, I'll do anything for you. I just want to be a vessel. But what do we know about wine, you guys? We know that the process of making wine, there is an intense crushing, there is an intense pressing And I believe that so many lift their hands as volunteers. I will go anywhere, I will do anything, but so many relent when things get hard. So many begin to deconstruct when fear of man comes into play and they realize that it's actually gonna be incredibly hard to follow Christ in a generation where there are so many different opinions, and there are so, right, and we know it's the better way, but again, when the going gets tough and when the rubber hits the road, that's when the real oil is spilled out. That's when the real wine is spilled out. The wine, is, the wine of his power. The wine of his spirit. I want to read John 12, 24, because I believe that just like there is no gold without refinement. And just like there yeah. is no oil without pressing the olive. And just like yeah. there, right? You guys get it? Just like there is no there is no wine without the crushing. There is no outpouring without suffering. There is no real move of God without some sacrifice. And we read this in John 12:24. We know that we've been called to a life of death, but he says it in here. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed, but in its death, it produces many seeds. We must die to live. We must die to live if we want to be included, if we want to be vessels of this move of God that I believe the Lord so desperately longs to pour out on the earth, we have to be willing to die to ourselves. We have to be willing to go through the press of suffering and affliction. We have to be willing to to stay steadfast in those times where the pressure is high. And the best thing about it is we don't have to do it alone. We don't do it alone. Right? We often wish Maybe some of us feel like you are in a pressing season. And it's not always just pressing out sin. we Sometimes it just feels hard. Sometimes it just feels tiring. It feels like sleepless nights. It feels like long days. It feels like you're being obedient. And you're doing all the right things. But it is hard. And I think sometimes we wish away this affliction. And we wish away this pain. And we wish away the hard stuff not realizing that we're actually wishing away the very assignment that God has over our lives to produce something holy out of us to produce the wine out that, that would flow out of our lives and into the people of our influence what if we don't pray what if we no longer wish away the pain but we welcome it and say Holy Spirit help me help me. And I'm not talking in a sense of when something happens to you, maybe it's a loss, or maybe you're genuinely grieving, and God is so with you. What I'm talking about, we know what it feels like. I'm talking about the pressure. I'm talking about the refinement. I'm talking about wishing away the wilderness, wanting to jump out. 20 days early because it's just so hidden and it's so isolating. But God is like, I have sent that wilderness into your life because I want to give you influence and I want to give you a voice and I want you to touch the nations. But if I were to give it to you right now, you would be moving out of ambition and it would crush you. So I'm putting you in a wilderness so that you would bear my glory, you'd be more like me. Lean in, daughter, lead in, son. Don't wish it away, don't say it's a demonic assignment. It's me, it's me. I have stuck you in the wilderness. I have stuck you in the hidden seat. I have asked you. I have entrusted you with a lot on your plate this season. I'm stretching your capacity. You can do this, not in your strength, but I've got you. I'm going to show you no longer to boast in what you can do and how strong you can be, but to boast in your weakness because I'm going to show you that in your weakness, my power is perfected and it's going to set you up for the next 30 years of your life. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Please, Lord, help us, Holy Spirit. Don't you just love Paul? Yes. I love Paul. I feel like I learned so much from his life. And one thing that I learned is this guy just has this down. He's like, I've signed myself up for a life of death. I've been shipwrecked, kidnapped, beaten. I've been beaten nearly to death. He's like, but it's all worth it. It's all worth it. And I just want to read this scripture. I believe that. Guys, I believe that, again, this is a personal word, and this is, I believe, a word for the bride. That when he calls us to this time of pressing and crushing, and we feel like we're being, you know, spent on every side. We're just, oh, Lord, it's so difficult. It's so hard. I'm being so purged. I believe he's saying, I'm giving you grace. I'm giving and pouring out my aid in this time, right, for you to endure to the very end. And in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, this is how Paul describes it. And I was reading this. And I'm like, this is exactly what it feels like sometimes. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around the death of Christ in us so that the life of Christ may also be revealed in our body. We are hard-pressed. Come on, church. Come on, girl. Come on, son. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. He was crushed so that we wouldn't have to be crushed. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. He was in despair so that we would not have to be in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. He felt abandonment. We're going to get onto this later, but Gethsemane, I don't know why I didn't look we always talk about the pain of the cross, and it's amazing what Jesus did on the cross. He, he defeated death. He, he defeated sin. It's a beautiful, right? We talk about this. It's a beautiful gift, what he did on the cross, but we don't always talk about the battle that was won in Gethsemane, and this is exactly what he's saying. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Don't you want the life of Jesus? To be revealed in your body? Don't you want to be a walking emblem of his Holy Spirit? Don't you want to walk into a room of darkness and high schoolers who are so emptied and so dead and their souls look at you and say, What does she come on? What is in her eyes? It's like the life of Jesus is just seeping through her words. She shouldn't even need to be loud. It's like his presence is here. Don't we want that? We know it's, We know that this is the next. The, the Lord wants to bring us into this this new glory of His life, being so revealed in and through us. And the third thing I want to say is when I talk about the crushing and when I talk about the pressing and when I talk about the being spent and when I talk about being pressed on every side, we have to know that Jesus volunteered Himself first. Jesus volunteered himself first. This is what he does. We read this in scripture. We do not have a high priest that cannot relate with us in our weakness. But he's been tempted in every way and still was sinless. He said, I had to go through everything you would go through alone so that you wouldn't have to. volunteered himself for the crushing, knowing there would be a greater glory. What if he saw the day in that garden, on that cross, when he said, my life will be revealed in their body. My life will be revealed in their body. They will be able to go through the crushing. They will be able to endure the hard thing. They will be able to go through the refinement. They will be able to go through it because I'm doing it first, and I will give them grace to do it, and I will give them grace in their lives when the season is difficult and it feels like they're being crushed. I'm doing this so that my life could be revealed in their body. That we would get to have intimacy and friendship and eternal life. Isn't this beautiful? Matthew 26, we see the garden of Gethsemane and it's been blowing my mind. I haven't even scratched the surface. I haven't even scratched the surface of the brevity of what happened in that garden. The Garden of Eden is where we were separated, and Jesus said, I have to go back to the Garden of Gethsemane and I have to fix what was undealt with. I have to fix what, what, what was separated, and I'm going to do that here. And what he did when he held that cup and he said, Oh, please, do this cup. Please, Lord. What he was looking into was the agony of our sin. He was looking into every sin, the cup that he would have to drink and become. Every sin that has been, will be, and will ever be committed on this side of eternity. He didn't just bear the weight of the sin, but he actually became the sin. That's what he was saying, oh, I'm having to become this sin. I'm having to become idolatry. I'm having to become this having never sinned. And he's looking in that cup and he's feeling the agony of the sins of the world. He's feeling the of of adultery, he's feeling the agony. Do you understand? And he's looking at that cup and he's saying, the first thing he said was essentially, oh Lord, take this cup from me, take this cup from me and he's sweating blood he's under so much agony there was bloodshed in gethsemane there was bloodshed in gethsemane for the wrath of god was on him that should have been upon us and he endured that in gethsemane and as the blood dripped from the pores of his skin it, it streamed down the cross of calvary and it dripped onto all flesh that we would be made whole that we would be made new The blood of his grace, the new covenant, the new wine was spilled in the garden of despair and agony and pressing and crushing so that it could be spilled out in the form of freedom and joy and grace and restoration. He bore the wrath of God so that we would never have to. And we know this, but I just feel like it means something different. That before the wine of grace and power could be poured out, there had to be a mess crushing even The son of man. And then the second thing he says in the scriptures, which is beautiful. I'm going to paraphrase it. Is he realizes, oh, I am, he literally is saying, I am near death. I am near death. This is so agonizing. This is so emotionally exhaustive. Every single piece of my being, every atom within me is underneath the wrath of God. I could die. And then the second thing he says, he so loves us. He says, Lord, Please. You're not going to take this cup from me, but help me be obedient. Help me be obedient. And what he was saying was he understood that the suffering had to be done. And his ask wasn't, take away my suffering. Take away the pain. It was, help me endure. Help me endure. Help me endure. He even bore on the cross and in the garden the abandonment of Abba himself. So that when we would have to cry out for his help, we would never have to taste abandonment. We would never have to taste the silence of God, the way that Jesus had to experience the silence of Abba. Oh, it just gives me hope in my heart. And in Gethsemane, right, Jesus took the, the, the cup of wrath. that overwhelmed him. This is where the battle was really won. And then it was the, the, the ransom was paid on the cross. And he took the place of a servant and carried with him Mark's servitude. Isaiah 53.10, it says it was the Lord's will to crush him. And cause him to suffer. Mm -hmm. The Lord God was like, this has to be done to my son. So that he would be able to empathize with my children. This has to be done to my son, of course, to remove the sins. Of course, to pay the price. Of course, because he's a perfect and just judge. The wrath of God wasn't just a temper tantrum of anger. It was perfect, and it was right, and it was just. And it had to be exhausted on something. And it was like all hell fire broke loose onto Jesus with no restraint in the garden. And he was gushing blood under the agony. And the beautiful thing about this is that we don't have to drink the cup of wrath. <laughs> we don't have to drink the cup of wrath. But there is a cup that is talked about in Matthew 20. That he tells us, he promises us that we will drink and it's the cup of suffering. Don't we know? Aren't we familiar with it? Aren't we familiar with it? The cup of suffering. In Matthew 20, the mother, it says that um, the mother of uh, James and John asks if his sons could sit with the Lord when his kingdom is ruined. He says, "Can can my son sit beside you on the throne? And Jesus responds, you don't understand what you're asking. He looks at James and John and says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they respond, yes. And then in verse 23, he says, you will drink of my cup. And I just read that. I thought, oh, it's so easy to say, Jesus, please pour out the anointing on me, God. Lord, give me the message, God way? Would you use me for mighty things, God? Would you do something great with my life? That's what his mother was asking. Would you use my son for something great? And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking. You have no idea what you're asking. Again, he's deconstructing what religion had built where it's about hierarchy and position and glamour. And Jesus says, I'm the Messiah that put a towel on my waist. I am the Messiah that came not to be served, but to serve. I am the Messiah that came and died a sinner's death that was born as a baby on the earth. And you're asking if you can do something great and you can be something great, I wanna do that with your life, James and John, and I'm going to. Don't we know? He does do mighty things through the life. He said, you're gonna have to drink the cup of suffering because we know that this suffering and this crushing it produces something something spills out of the life of one who has long suffered that cannot come from a good podcast that cannot come from right it's it's the very wine of christ that is spilled through the life of one who is willing to long suffer who is willing to stick with it no matter the cost who is willing to put they're plowing the ground and say, I'm not looking back. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care the pushback. I don't care the sleepless night. I don't care what people think. I don't care the opposition. I don't care if I'm hated. I don't care if I'm rejected. I'm putting my plow on the ground. I'm saying I'm following you. I'm drinking the cup of suffering. And I want to say here that we don't ask for suffering for suffering's sake. We don't want to be ones that are obsessed with retribution and demonic opposition but we want to be ones that are so in love Jesus was so in love and when he talks about this moment in Isaiah it references as he trotted the wine press and it's talking about the end time of the wrath of God where the enemies will be thrown into the wine press and they will be crushed and their blood will be on the hem of his robe. but he's talking about this and he says that two things carry him he said zeal and indignation this is what carries us our zeal for Christ I love you Jesus I love you, Jesus. Platform, mentality, and position, and flattery, it will not get us anywhere. We will be crushed. We are putting our faith in the applauses, and in the platform, and in the maybe when I get there, then I'll be satisfied. We will be so disappointed. He is the reason we endure him. He, zeal for the Lord, will consume us. And then he said the second thing, indignation. He said, I hate the enemy. I hate him. In something I want to say, the last thing before we get into the response is, in the Garden of Gethsemane, something, something profound happens. And Jesus, we know this, he takes three of his disciples with him to the Garden. James, Peter, and John. And I always thought it's because they were closest to him. And it, honestly, that could be so true. But then I got to thinking and I thought, wow, those were the three disciples that ended up having a name and heavy responsibility in the new testament they were the ones that carried the gospel forward whatever you might call them they were the frontliners. they were the pioneers jesus said you're gonna have to see what happens in this garden of gethsemane you're gonna want to see this you're gonna need to see this i want to teach you something three times he says stay awake and be alert Stay awake and be alert so that you would not fall into sin. And then he literally says, our flesh is weak, but our spirit is strong. He's saying maybe he's foreshadowing the ones that will go on to martyr for the gospel. Two out of three of those guys were martyrs for the gospel. Maybe he needed to show them a glimpse of his despair. And this is not me comparing whatsoever. Our pain to what he endured in that olive press, not, not even close. It's not even it, it pales. But he's saying, I want you to see me suffer and be vulnerable. I want you to remember this. I want you to be aware. I want you to stay alert. This is gonna be important for you in the ministry you carry forward. It's important for us to know that obedience requires suffering and it requires pain and it requires hard and it's difficult. And so the, the, the process is just so worth it. And I feel the Lord, and I said this earlier. That the Lord had just believed there's just this wine, this new thing that he wants to pour out. And he's looking down and he's saying, who are the ones that are flexible, that are meek, that are humble, that are hungry, that are expected, that aren't full of expectations, but are expected? Who are the ones? And he's looking down and he's saying, who will pay the price? Who will pay the price? Who will pay the price? I want to pay the price. I want to pay the price because it's worth it. Luke five thirty nine says nobody after drinking old wine wants the new for they say the old is better guys it's so easy to say I just like what we've been doing the past 10 years what do you mean our programs have been awesome people have been getting touched I like this I like this way of doing things this is just how I am this is how I've always been this is how my mom was and my dad was and this is how I am and the Lord is saying I'm going to do a new thing and I need you to get away with the old thing I need you to get away with the blueprints that you made up. I need you to get away with the strategies that came from Nan's ideas. I need you to get away with the pride. Come on. I need you to get away with the ambition. I need you to get away with the mindset, even deep, deep down, thinking, I want to be the leader, and when I'm there, things will be great. Or, you know, all these mindsets that we have, he says, I just need you, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to burn that all away. It's going to be painful. It's going to be lonely. It's going to be, it's but I promise you it would be worth it. There's a greater glory. Could it be that God is doing such a new thing on the earth, in our generation, in the nations, in industries, in systems, in schools, in hospitals, in our families, that we can no longer just pray for the anointing. We can no longer just ask for the breakthrough without a breaking. We can no longer just ask for the gold in, the, in displaying Christ's image without the refining fire. We can no longer ask for the wine without the pressing. The new thing the Lord longs to do requires us to cast aside the old ways. Don't we want to do it? And this isn't a rebuke message. I believe this is even for the church. Come on, we need to start functioning together. It's no longer going to be one church that stands and finishes the race. It's going to be the bride of all denominations and every nation and every tribe and every tongue laying down their agendas and saying, we want Jesus. We want him and we don't care what it takes. This is for the bride. This is for the missionaries. This is for those that are out working in the schools. This is for the we need each other. We need to stay together. We were made to do life with one another. He's preparing us for what's to come. He wants to step into our house and get rid of the old furniture, tear down the wallpaper, saying that was cute for a while when you were 12, but now you're 23 and that needs to go. Cause I want to do a new thing inside of you. And sometimes we just gotta let him move. Let him move the table. We need to stop hoarding things and being weird hoarders. of like, this no, This is mine, and I can't let go. And, I, I, and the Lord said, just, your uncle, I promise you it will be worth it. I want to do a new thing. So are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the cost? Are we willing to endure? Are we willing to long suffer? Are we willing to stay in the wilderness for however long the Lord would ask? Are we willing to be moved into bravery that scares us, but it's the Lord? Are we willing to throw off that fear? Are we willing to throw off that coping mechanism? Are we willing to throw it off for the sake of him in his greater glory? Because I'm telling you, what the Lord wants to do through our lives is bigger than we can imagine. And as we get away with the old wine skin, and we make ourselves new, and we get, let him get rid of the things within us that are not of him, he pours his wine out into our lives, and then we become ones that everywhere we walk, the people that we influence are touched by this power and they're touched by this anointing and they change. And all of a sudden, we got rid of that fear of the very thing we were supposed to step into. And then the Lord starts to move in ways we could have never imagined. And then all of a sudden, we just let go of that unforgiveness and God starts to redeem relationships that we could have never imagined. And then all of a sudden, the Lord deals with our ambition and he deals with our, our obsession with self. And he restores within us a meek and quiet heart and begins to pour out his spirit in wild ways through us. He's amazing and it's him. It has to be him. It can't be us, right? He went through the garden. He he trekked to the cross and he did all of that so that we would never have to do it alone in our own strength. Are we willing to set aside our preferences to reach a generation? God is doing a new thing, friends, and it's going to require new way of doing things. Is the wineskin of my life prepared for the fresh outpouring of the Spirit? Are you prepared? If tomorrow God were to give you everything you've been praying for, would it break you? Would it break the people around you? Oh, Jesus. Thank you for the ways you want to use this room. Mighty ways. School system change, never the same. Healings breaking out in hospitals. Patients, literally. Coming in lost and finding Christ because their nurse or their doctor was so spirit-filled. They didn't even have to share the gospel. They just felt full of hope being around them. I see the Lord just breaking out on the mission field, giving favor in nations. Meeting us in our secret place in such a kind way, ridding us. He's, He's doing it. Don't you sense that he's doing it? New songs, new anthems. New melodies dancing, breaking out, freedom happening all over the earth as a generation is crying out for something that will last. He's saying, I'm going to pour myself out through you. Yes. Through you. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And the journey's going to be tough, but I'm going to do it. Isaiah forty three nineteen. 19, behold. I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not perceive it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And Joel, if you want to come up, I'm just going like another three minutes here. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I am about to do something new. Where do you need an outpouring of new wine? Is it your workplace? Is it your ministry? Is it your role? Is it your vocation? Is it your area of study? Where do you need the anointing to come and touch you? Where has have you been under the influence of man-made strategy that you need the influence of the Holy Spirit? Tell him. Tell him afresh that you invite the crushing and the pressing and the process in any way you've restricted the pain. Welcome it and ask him. Pray a bold prayer. Lord, help me endure the pressure. Turn your prayer from, Lord, free me. Get me out of this place to, Lord, help. Pray a bold prayer. Instead of hoping time will pass fast, ask the Lord what the purpose of this season is. When was the last time we said, God, why are you doing this? I feel like this is flaring up within me. I feel like this is happening to me. Why? Where are you in this? Sometimes we associate pain, negative emotions, and discomfort with attack, but maybe it's been a sound out of love. Remember that he treaded the wine press alone in the garden so that we wouldn't have to. He spilled the blood of his wine so that we wouldn't need to manufacture change or transformation. It was vengeance towards the devil and his love for the father and mankind that he endured. Let this be our fuel. Let this be our fuel. Can we all just stand up? And I just want to pray over us. I want to pray over me. I want to pray over us. This honestly is more or less a response of repentance and more saying, God, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready. When you do a new thing, I'm available. I volunteer myself. I give you my everything. Lord, he's coming back. Guys, he's coming Back, it is not about movements, it's not about ministries, not about platform The bridegroom is coming back for a spotless bride, and you are very much a part of what he wants to establish on the earth. In Revelation 5 10 it says, We are a kingdom and a priest unto him that reigns, we are a kingdom and a priest unto God, and we reign on the earth. Come on, he's already won, we just have to endure with him, we just need him. So, Jesus, I just pray over. Over myself, Lord. I pray over our generation. I pray over this room, Lord. Lord, we personally just say, Lord, we make new wine out of our lives, God. We just invite. If there needs to be crushing, if there needs to be pressing, if there needs to be refinement, we invite it because we say we just want you. Lord, would you pour out wine of freedom through our lives? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit through our lives, God? We just say we want you so desperately. Give us the spirit that Paul had in his heart. Give us the mindset that Paul walked in on the earth for. Give us a forehead of glint we would say no matter the cost I'm in I will pay whatever, I will spend whatever, I will not bargain with the Lord and his spirit, I want to pay the price that I'm called to pay because it's so worth it you're so worth it, and so Jesus we just pray all across the room you would bring us into intercession for our own lives and for a generation that we would say Lord give us strength again Jesus any way that we've been holding out old wineskin, any way that we've been holding out old things and we've just been asking you to do something with it. We just say, give us the strength to put away the old and give us the strength to begin to think and move and ideize differently. Would we walk, talk differently? Would we think differently? Would we pray differently? Would we seek you differently? Lord, give us new wineskin. Yes. Renew the wine skin of our lives that we would be vessels that you can look down upon and say, I want to pour my spirit out over them. I'm going to pour my wine into their fresh wineskin, into their hunger. They're so meek. They're so available. So, Jesus, we love you. And as we enter into this time of worship, we ask that you would meet us personally. Jesus, we know that you are here. There's no doubt your presence is here. It's so beautiful. We just invite you to speak to us. We love you. We love you.